And now, live from Quinlan's Cantina in the Gulf Coast of Australia, it's time again for your dose of action cinema history from the 80s, 90s, and beyond with the Lido Mullet Podcast. Oh, get out of my go. G'day mate, how you going? Welcome to, of course, the Lethal Muller Podcast. I'm your host, Adam O'Brien, and tonight we're going to be looking at Pale Rider, the 1985 Western starring, of course, Clint Eastwood and an array of amazing other actors. And, of course, this is a film which echoes what has been done before in the 70s with, of course, High Plains Drifter, with a very straight-up Western when it comes down to it and, of course, uh, a man with no-name style character in it called The Preacher, which, of course, Eastwood plays in this. This is a, I think, a step in the direction of, of course, of films like Unforgiven, and it also has some interesting stuff that you don't normally see in the, the standard John Wayne Western or Charlie Bronson one. It, it was an interesting time. 1980s were exactly, you know, um, the muscle-bound hero era of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, and uh, many others. This sort of adrenaline-packed, um, muscular hero, the alpha male, that which is everywhere from movies like First Blood, uh, Commando, Predator, uh, right up to, of course, all the others that um, like Cobra as well. And the list just went on to the end of the 80s when we got films like, of course, um, Total Recall, which is probably the pinnacle of a lot of those. Um, and, of course, it was the one-liners, all that sort of stuff came into play in that era. And the Western was a forgotten genre, except for a couple of, Notable mentions, one of them being, of course, Young Guns, and the other one being Pale Rider, which is really probably the best Western of the 1980s, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. And it still gets high ratings, like Rotten Tomatoes gave it 93%. So that gives you an idea that this is really thought of quite well, 7.3 out of 10 with IMDb as well. So it is a well-thought-of Western, and to me, every bit as good as the later Eastwood work that we got with um, Unforgiven, the one that got all the awards. And um, this is one with an hour and 56 minutes with it. It really delves into uh, the story quite fast. It's about a couple and their daughter, along with a few others, who are driven out of La Hood in California by a bunch of goons working for a minion baron. However, a stranger enters their life to assist them in their fight. So here we go. It's, It's one of those interesting ideas. What do you do if you get this, you know, almost superhuman-like character uh, join and um, really change things, and that's what happens. You know, the Western was always something I grew up with, um, even in the 80s, as I grew up uh, watching a lot of the older stuff. Um, obviously, really got into, as we did in the last episode, Lonesome Dove, and it was a time when my, my mum years ago bought me some of the Louis L'Amour novels, which uh, a lot of those were turned into a TV movies and cable uh, TV movies over the years with Tom Selleck and uh, Sam Elliott playing the Sackets at one stage there as well and a um, bunch of, you know, just really interesting, again, not huge movies but small um, movies that which, um, again, were all about character. It's a great thing about Westerns. It was, it was really about building up your characters and um, particularly for that era, you know, it wasn't the huge era of CGI and explosions, not that you would need it anyway back in this period too. So before we get into it, um, for those that haven't seen the movie yet and you do want to, you can find this on um, Apple uh, TV. You can find it on Prime Video as well, uh, which is um, what I actually watched on. Even though I've got the Blu-ray and the DVD previous, 
but I've had it for quite a few years. I actually watched it um, streaming on the, the projector. So I actually watched um, Pale Rider on the big screen. And uh, again, seeing these going from a smaller TV to literally, uh, um, you know, a screen that takes up from wall to wall in the cinema room was quite a, quite a thing. I mean, to see even the, the standoff at the end of this film, um, you know, the, the, obviously the shootout, to see it like that is just um, amazing. Uh, you can also get it on Google Play as well. Um, one stage I do think it was on um, Netflix, but I haven't seen it that way since. So anyway, we'll get into that very, very soon. Okay, let's have a quick look at the cast. Clint Eastwood at this stage would have been in his, have to be his 50s, surely, uh, at this stage. Um, again, still great to be that age because, well, he would have been 40 actually in uh, when he did Dirty Harry, the first one. So he would have been, yeah, well at least uh, 55 when he did this film. But I kind of like that era um, that he did films in, in because it was, uh, you know, he's still nimble, still strong, still tough, still got that wise-ass sort of, you know, smart-aleck larrikin uh, behaviour to him as well. But he's seasoned, and that's what made the characters that he did in that, that sort of era, particularly even Dirty Harry, um, really seasoned um, and made it interesting because he's going off that um, amount of experience he had behind him too. Sydney Penny plays Megan Wheeler in this, which obviously is the, um, the young lady that um, gets embroiled in a lot of the, the trouble. Uh, Carrie Snodgrass plays Sarah Wheeler, her mother. We've also got John Russell plays Stockburn. Now Stockburn is an interesting character, which we'll talk about in the story soon. Stockburn is this character, which um, obviously has a past with the preacher but he thinks that the preacher is dead. So when the preacher turns up, he's going, I know that face. And he's, well, he does, <laughs> apparently. Uh, we've also got Michael Moriarty playing Hull Barrett, who's sort of the, the likable, lovable um, guy who's sort of looking out for, um, obviously, uh, the, the two girls, uh, both Sarah Megan Wheeler. And he's, he's the kind of guy, you know, you'd, you'd want to have as your neighbour. He's a nice guy. He's... He's a do-right guy. He doesn't want to put up with stuff. He's kind of a coward, but sort of not at the same time. He just needs the push to be, um, you know, not a heroic as such, but somebody that's going to do what he needs to. As Josh LaHood, we have the late, great Chris Penn, who's uh, somebody I've been a huge fan of for years. Um, it's sad that he's gone so early. Uh, good friend of Don the Dragon Wilson, obviously sort of part of Best of the Best 1 and 2. Uh, Rush Hour, and, uh, of course, Reservoir Dogs. You can't get around that from there. We also have Richard Keel. That's right. Richard Keel plays club in this. Richard Keel of Jaws fame, of course, from the one, the only, of course, you know, folks, I don't have to tell you, from, of course, the 007 films that Roger Moore did years and years ago. So, again, interesting times, but um, I really enjoy, for me um, in particular, seeing those actors that you know and, and, of course, you know exactly their strengths before you get to see them. But see them in something that um, you don't expect them to see, which I really think is an interesting part of it too. So with that, we're going to be getting into that right now. So don't forget, folks, to join us on all socials. That's right, all socials. Of course, if you've got Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or is it X now? Is that what they're calling it? It's called X. That's what we're calling it now. It's called X. 
Yeah, no, nah, I'm going to call it Twitter, mate. All right. <laughs> okay. You can catch us on at the Lethal Mullet. That's the handle at the Lethal Mullet on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where, of course, we share a lot of this great stuff and, of course, news on upcoming shows and more. Oh, of course, Lethal Mullet. All right, 1985, American Western, Pale Rider was directed by Clint Eastwood, and it has everything that you know Eastwood is about and for. And the title of the film is all to do with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Of course, the pale horse or the ghost rider. Now, of course, Eastwood represents death, folks. That's right. He represents death. And when he's coming in to the story, it's pretty much what he brings. The film took in over $41 million at the worldwide box office, and it was the biggest western of the 1980s so there you go i was right folks you know it, it well we even just going by my like of the thing too because it did, does bring in some really ingenious things into the plot too it was the highest grossing western of the 1980s even ahead of course of our favorite from the younger ones that is of course yang gans yang gans directed by eastwood written by dennis shryak and of course michael butler produced by eastwood and uh, cinematography by Bruce Surtees, edited by Joel Cox. The music was by Letty Niehaus. And, of course, it was a production company by Mel Paso Company. Mel Paso Productions, of course, was um, Clint Eastwood's company. The budget was very small, $6.9 million. Now, that's not exactly low budget for the dining age, but it's not exactly high budget either. And then made $41 million, $41.4 and change, to be exact. And of course, this was part of his run with Warner Brothers. Pictures of Eastwood, too. So um, very interesting film. All right, so what's it all about? Well, it's about a place called La Hood in California in the Carbon Canyon. And there's a baron by the name of Coy La Hood who's waging uh, this war of basically um, fear, intimidation, and this is all against the prospectors that are there and their families, one of them being Hull Barrett, uh, who we talked about earlier. Hull Barrett is um, obviously looking after Sarah Wheeler and her daughter Megan, who's a teenager. Now, Sarah doesn't exactly give back the affections of to Hull completely, but at the same time, she knows that Hull gives her a little bit of sense of security and all that too. So from here, they want to get away from the hood themselves, but a gang of men then attack the mining camp and they kill um, uh, Sarah's dog. And, of course, then she sits down and prays that something will come, somebody will come, a miracle will happen. Well, after this, a man on a pale horse comes into the, the actual camp itself in Carbon Canyon. This is when Hull heads to town and he's going up there on a um, horse to get um, supplies for the camp. But as he gets up there, some of La Hood's men then grab axe handles and outside the shop start to beat Hull to a pulp until the pale rider comes up. And, of course... He literally puts them all in a world of pain. Anyone that touched Hull gets smashed, and then this course by the power rider himself. And what's interesting at this stage, we don't really know that he's a priest yet because he's got no like clerical collar or anything like that. But when they get back to camp and um, he takes them back to the mining camp, Hull then invites him to um, stay for at least dinner, and then he puts the clerical collar on, and they all know him as the preacher from then on. So they have many attempts, one of them being Coy Hood's son, Joshua, attempts to scare off the preacher with a um, huge man by the name of Club, which we talked about, which is Jaws. But 
<laughs> this was the most interesting parts of it. Thinking outside the box, the preacher smashes club with a sledgehammer in the nuts. That's right, in the gonads, folks. <laughs> and it's quite a funny scene because, again, he's kind of like, he feels sorry for having to do the hit too on him. Oh, um, but it is what it is. Coy goes back to um, town as he returns from a trip to Sacramento and he learns all about, obviously, the preacher and the fact that the, even though they tried to bribe him and threaten him, nothing changed. At the preacher's own suggestion, LaHood offers the uh, miners $1,000 a claim provided they clear the site within the next day, the next 24 hours. But LaHood says he plans to then hire man by the name of Stockburn. Now, this is where the was obviously the crop marshal has a whole bunch of cronies that look exactly like him and they wear those huge dusters, those big uh, trench coats. And they all look like, you know, the one thing. They look like basically a marching death squad. From here, the miners um, reject the offer and this is where Stockburn um, is, you know, wanting to come down. And, of course, Preacher warned them about Stockburn and what he's going to do if they don't, um, you know, go with it. But, of course, they... They reject the offer. From here, Megan actually starts to fall for the preacher herself. Falls in love with the fact that, you know, this guy has basically come in, swept them all up, and give them a sense of safety. And uh, she absolutely loves it. Um, she angrily sends the preacher who's also in love with um, Sarah. But this is where the preacher leaves Carver Canyon for another town where he stops at the Wells Fargo Bank. At the bank, he picks up three separate pistols from a security box, removes his collar, and this is when, of course, we get to see that the preacher is maybe something else. From here, Megan then rides into LaHood's camp where Joshua then shows her the blasting operation that happens and Preacher then arrives on horseback, takes a gun off Joshua and shoots him straight through the hand. <laughs> Which, again, you start to see somebody's going to shoot somebody in the hand. I mean, they mean to shoot the hand, so that means... This guy's a damn good shot, right? <laughs> this is when Stockburn basically sends a message out to the preacher. It says, come to town and we'll settle this for once. But this is where Sarah begs the preacher not to go and tells him that she will marry Hull, despite the feelings that she has for preacher. You know, remember, preacher doesn't feel anything, <laughs> which I think Sarah doesn't have a, a clue about here too. So Preacher and Hull blow up LaHood's mining site, and this is built with dynamite. From there, uh, to stop Hull from going through, the Preacher scares off Hull's horses and rides into town by himself on his own steed. Okay, from here, this is where it gets interesting, folks. The gunfight that follows, he kills all of LaHood's men, and they attack him except for two who run away. Then one by one, he kills all of six um, Stockman deputies. And one of them you might know as Billy Drago. That's right, Billy Drago from Delta Force 2, Untouchables, and many Chuck Norris canon films, and, of course, from the Tremors series. Now, then one by one, as they go through, the final shootout, Stockburn recognises the preacher in disbelief before he is shot in the chest six times, leaving six exit wounds in his back, similar to the wounds on the preacher's back. Finally, preacher kills him with a shot to the head. Hood, watching from his office, aims a rifle at the preacher, but is shot dead by Hull. Now, that's where it gets really cool. I mean, it's, it's a fast sequence, folks, but it's all been building to this too. So the preacher takes off, nods at Hull, and rides off into the snow-capped mountains. 
And of course, then Megan arrives and seeing Preacher right away shouts her love and thanks him. So that's a great, again, uh, it's, it encapsulates what is great about Westerns, what uh, an adventure story is, what is one, in some ways, a revenge tale too, you know, for what is going on to the mining camp. But it was the picturesque idea of the mountains too, this sort of heavy wooded area. As Australia, we'd call it bush. Uh, you guys call it forest over there in the States. So for us, you know, we're looking at this beautiful area and then the snow-capped mountains behind it too. The West wasn't always the dusty old towns and the, um, the deserts, you know. It was more than just that. So, you know, there's, there's definitely some different stuff there too. So uh, some of the people we didn't talk about um, pre previous with the cast was Doug McGrath plays Spider Conway, Chet LaFont plays Eddie Conway, Billy Drago plays Deputy Mather, Jeffrey Wiseman plays Teddy Conway, Charles Hallahan plays McGill, Marvin J. McIntyre as Jagal, and we've also got Fran Ryan as Ma Blankenship, and of course Richard Hamilton as Pa Blankenship, and then we've also got um, Terence Evans as Jake Henderson. Let's look at some of the production here, folks. Now, it's primarily filled in the Boulder Mountains um, at the Sawtooth National Recreation um, Area. And this is in central Idaho. So we're talking about, I guess, the middle of the United States as far as my geography goes. <laughs> um, and actually, we've got some few links here that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a look at while we're talking about it here. So this is an area in Idaho in the United States that's managed as part of the Sawtooth National Forest. It's an area that's been there since 1972 uh, with the U.S. Forest Services. Uh, and again, very picturesque, beautiful mountains. It's got um, beautiful uh, Stanley Lake there as well, which looks absolutely gorgeous. And, um, okay, no, it's not central. It's closer to California. <laughs> there you go. Who would have known? Well, certainly somebody that lived there, I guess. <laughs> um, nearest city is Sun Valley. Um, and, of course, huge area which is um, established back in August 22, 1972. But, again, different area for a Western. I really, really look good. The opening credits are actually featuring the um, the jagged Sawtooth Mountains, part, um, which is south of the town of Stanley. And there's also train station scenes. They were filmed in Tuoloma Country in California, and that's near Jamestown. Jamestown. I do believe there's a um, city in Australia called Jamestown as well. Um, so Jamestown, which is um, only got a population of 3,500 roughly, uh, is basically a town from the California Gold Rush, and uh, it is known as the California Historical Landmark since 1949. So it's the home of the Railtown 1897 um, State Historical Park and um, the Sierra Railway, uh, which they still got steam operated trains and stuff like that, passenger trains. So I guess they probably done a lot of that for movies and stuff like that too. So obviously the big team from Malpaso worked on this film, really gave it something completely different, I think, than what was done before. Obviously even High Plains Drifted, which we may cover at one stage uh, in the future. Similar idea and, you know, I think too the, the wardrobe and everything has a feel of that. Again, it's, it's a, a character... I personally think it is the High Plains Drifter. You know, it's this ghost-like character which comes in on the wind, does what it needs to do to solve a problem, and then takes off. You know, it's that mystical gunfighter. And it's not something that I think has been done before um, or after well as well as this anyway, which I think was just done fantastically. 
So Eastwood's talked about the preacher, you know, it's his character is an out-and-out ghost. Okay, so he's a ghost character. Uh, whereas in uh, 73, High Plains Drifter, um, you know, the unfolding flashbacks, you just don't know. It's left so ambiguous whether that's a ghost character. But this one is definitely a ghost, right? Parallel does not include any such uh, clues to the nature and past of the preacher. And uh, other than the six bullet wounds in his back, and of course, his previous relationship with Stockburn, claims he knew a man like the preacher. You're, you're left to sort of figure it out yourself. There's nothing really told about the past of this character. This character's got more into doing with the Dark Knight's Joker than it has anything else because you just don't know. The movie itself, uh, obviously, is taken from the Book of Revelation, which is chapter 6, verse 8, and I looked and behold a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. So, again, that's um, you know a passage that's been used in movies a number of times and stuff, but... Again, it really goes with uh, what we've got here too, um, which really works, I think, too. So how did it go? This movie did really well. Again, on a budget of 6.9, I mean, it was smashing, you know, things like the financial flavors of things like Heaven's Gate, which is in 1980, huge one then, and uh, really pushed um, that sort of thing too. And, of course, critically, it's really thought of as, you know, a huge um, part of it too. You know, nearly a decade uh, had passed since, like, the outlaw Josie Wales and obviously other films that he'd done previously. And what's interesting about it is, you know, it's it's got everything. It's a it's a spiritual film, but it also has elements of Shane and others that are just classics too. You know, and it's you could tell it's a veteran putting on his you know best when it comes to the westerns that he's done too in the past and everything. So they recognise that it's got that too. Critically, it did so damn well. And, again, it touches the old Westerns. Even Roger Ebert, his overall considered achievement, is one of the best Westerns of style and excitement, obviously. Uh, many others as well too. It really is one of the greats, folks. This is a film which I think you can all agree is one to celebrate. Clint Eastwood's Pale Rider. It's a five out of five on, of course, the Hallenbach scale. <laughs> The number you have dialed has been changed. The new number is... G'day, man, how you going? Follow the lethal mullet here on Phantom Podcast Network's master channel at fbnet.podbean.com or subscribe on the Podbean app where you can find all the shows. Blood of Kings, a Highlander podcast. Culture Clash, a weekly look at pop culture. New look at Making Treks, a Star Trek fan podcast. You can also check out The Mullet Guild, a look at the Dune universe from me, the Lethal Mullet. You can also check out this show and all the others like What a Piece of Junk, a Star Wars podcast, Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast, and much, much more. All on FPN. You can follow on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and all podcatchers. Make sure you follow me, the Lethal Mullet. At the Lethal Mullet on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Here are the other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. 
Culture Clash, where we discuss the latest in entertainment and pop culture. Bloody Kings, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theater, we celebrate our favorite movies. And Time Warp, our fandom flashback show discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, TV, and pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Hair Metal Podcast, we cover the rock metal music of the 80s and early 90s. Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, discussing the time-traveling Doctor Who universe. Lethal Mullet, an action film podcast, covering the 80s, 90s, and beyond. Also, check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, our Star Wars podcast. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, with a deep dive into the final frontier. The Fandom Show, our Fandom Podcast Network live YouTube show discussing the hottest topics in fandom. The True Believers MCU podcast, discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Television Universe. Union Federation, our Star Trek and the Orville show. And we're proud to welcome the BQN Network to the Fandom Podcast Network. Please visit our friends on the BQN Network, a Star Trek Universe podcast that also includes your favorite topics, movies, history, superheroes, and more. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube. The Fandom Podcast Network is also on all major podcast platforms. Fandom Podcast Network audio master feed is on Podbean at fpnet.podbean.com. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Oh, I'm a leader. 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 Oh, I'm a leader.